and I call them divils these kidney divils right this is any team truthfully I mean it's hand in heart any team who can plot and implement and take down clear at the moment I, I do think it's kidney Join myself Willow Callahan, along with James Skehill and Paul Murphy for the best insight this hurling season Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us now then, interesting times. Irish team very much settled in New Zealand at this stage. The first test is on Saturday. In the meantime, Wednesday morning, the Mary All Blacks and this fairly relentless uh, three and a half weeks gets underway. Five big matches and already uh, this week has taken a few twists and turns. Rory O'Connor of the Irish Independent here in studio. Hello. Hey, Joe. How are you doing? I'm very well. So there is a COVID outbreak in the uh, New Zealand set up. They are without their head coaching Foster. They are without their forwards coach John Plumtree. They are without their defence specialist Scott McLeod. They are without David Avili and Jack Goodhue. And so into the breach. Welcome back. Hello darkness my old friend. <laughs> <laughs> the smiling assassin Joe Schmidt is back in the, and he's leading the All Blacks this week and Ireland have had it was one of those nights you know I've, I would normally be down in New Zealand covering these things I'm, I'm back at home this this year I was watching the Sunday game last night where the email came through from the All Blacks and I think most Irish people probably would have missed it because they were watching the fallout of our man Galway such as the, the summer tour life and um, by the time I woke up Ireland had ruled Mac Hanson or as Mac Hanson has COVID um, Rob Herring and Ian Henderson have gone for, for scans and all this stuff had happened at the All Blacks as well the Marys named their team it was like god this this is going to be fun you're going to wake up every morning and things are going to be happening but the big overriding news line is that Joe Smith is, is running the show for the All Blacks this week um, I mean I presume Ian Foster's picking the team remotely and, and dialing into meetings from you know from, from afar at the head coach but there is a familiar you know when Andy Farrell looks across at the All Blacks coaching box on uh, Saturday there will be a familiar face Smiling back at him, and um, a man who knows everything there is to know about Irish rugby. I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Schmidt has watched every minute of every game the Irish players have played since he's left. You know, I think he he knows the, he 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 would have retained that interest since he's left, and he I think was probably even though it was an unspoken thing was probably involved in the preparations for this anyway. But this gives him a much more central role and makes life so much more interesting now <laughs> as we build up to this first test. And we don't know if he'll be involved centrally for the second and third when Foster returns, but if things go well, you know, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Keep, why not? <laughs> we're going to stay around for a couple of weeks, Joe, we'll put you up in the hotel and, and, and get your insights. Like It's really, I think it's brilliant. It just uh, adds another layer to what was already something I was looking forward to. I feel like he's gone to his archive and opened the folder marked My Most Special Favourite Plays and set these moves <laughs> and said I'm going to dust you off and unleash hell here and absolutely and and also is you know I'm sure the uh, New Zealand media uh, chief was given a, a list of uh, of, of uh, news websites and uh, and journalists to, to add to his portfolio this week and you know get, get the full reports I'm sure you know that suddenly like if he wasn't doing it already I mean if you think about it you know Matt Hansen's out this week it's going to be Keith Earls or Jordan Larmer on the right wing I mean Joe Schmidt knows these players so intimately he's going to be in Richie Mwanga or, or Jordan Barrett's ear about their, their strengths and weaknesses yeah. like he, you know, he gave Jordan Armour his debut he, he gave Keith Earls most of his best days he knows exactly you know he, he would have prepared them in such a different way you know to, to try and hide those weaknesses in the past you know he knows everything there is to know about these Irish players it's, it's an incredible uh, you know it's not just because he coached them he's also that mind that we all know about and he has the, now he has the best player you know not the, not necessarily the best players anymore but it's like some of the most talented athletes in the world to work with yeah um it's it, you know if you're if you're a neutral it would be very exciting if you're an irish player it's uh, it's Terrifying. a bit daunting a little bit you know <laughs> just to chart 
Schmidt post-2019. So he retired from coaching post-2019. Finished coaching was the term. Finished. Okay. Yeah, there was never... It was like a boxer who retires 10 times in their career. There was never... It was never going to stay away from coaching. It was a very interesting worded statement that finish they him. released the day after he was named Coach of the Year at the end of that glorious 2018. He said he was going to finish coaching. Um, it never was clear what it meant and he was asked to clarify a few times and he always left the door that little bit ajar. Okay. Um, it wasn't a retirement. It wasn't leaving the Irish job. He was going to finish coaching. So he, And he hasn't held a de facto coaching role since he's been more of a consultant type figure even though apparently he's been taking sessions in the Auckland Blues but he's true to his kind of the way he kind of operates he hasn't actually he hasn't actually um, coached in the kind of truest sense of it he's kind of found a, a parameter that he can work in that he wasn't that didn't betray what he said that day you know? these semantics I mean if someone said to it's you what, uh, it's just bringing it all back I'm finishing up work you'd assume they're retired well, it's like, if I said I'm finished journalism and then so, signed for the Irish Times the following week I mean it's it's similar to doing that you know you'd expect me to go and get a job in PR you know if I said I was finished journalism but you know he's he's found he, he helped out at Claremont then he went into the um, world, into rugby. world rugby and he became the director of rugby and world rugby and I think that was a big job there in world rugby wasn't it it was but I think you know Joe Schmidt always liked the, 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 the tracksuit element of coaching being on the pitch and I, I think the politics of that job probably brought Warren down a bit plus okay. during COVID he was staying in Dublin and then he and we're based here and he moved back to Auckland during COVID and decided to stay as far as I'm aware and that's a combination of those two factors saw him cho- cho- choose to leave World Rugby at that point and he was then co-opted onto the Auckland Blues coaching ticket as a, I, I I couldn't tell you what the term that you maybe have it there. He's an advisor. It's an advisory role to Liam McDonald. Suddenly they were brilliant. And um, now they have very good players. They've always had very good players. But he was they got to the final of Super Rugby this year. Played unbelievable rugby along the way. Mm. You know, Bowden Barrett was you know apparently you know bending at the knee to kind of learn everything he could get from him. He's the starting out half for the Blues. Now they ultimately were undone in the final by the Crusaders who absolutely obliterated them in the final took apart every strength of their game a little bit like maybe the World, the World mm. Cup quarter final mm. when, when things get on the ground but he had a very positive influence there and now he's after this tour he's supposed to be taking over from Grand Fox as what they call an independent selector so he is kind of a, a voice to help Ian Foster in the selection room where he's not actually in a kind of a, a faced a player it's not a role we have in Irish rugby but it's he's a kind of not a player facing influence, but he is part of the selection meetings. But I think if you know Joe Schmidt and you you know, I think most Irish people think you know have a good idea of how he operates. It wouldn't be long before he would be getting involved. And Foster apparently wants him to be involved because he respects him so much, and he's trying to fight for his job. And he, yeah. Schmidt isn't the threat. It's Scott, Scott Robertson who's the ch- the threat. He's the Crusaders coach, and and there's, that's the political background for this in New Zealand. The you know the New Zealand fans are not sold on his coaching ticket they want another guy so Foster's kind of fighting for his life and Schmidt may be the white knight because I was reading with the Blues for instance when he arrived it was as you said more in a consultancy type role but I was reading I haven't seen this but I was reading pretty quickly he was in his tracksuit taking the warm-ups pre-game in much the same way he took the warm-ups for Ireland that suggests very hands-on and if you have Joe Schmidt as part of your organisation you get him on the pitch because he is you know one of the best coaches in the game if not in the history of the game I know things went sour with Ireland but the things he achieved here both here and at Leinster and at Claremont and the respect that he has across the board he's a phenomenal coach so if you know if you have him you know, in the Auckland Blues yeah. and you have him as your kind of strategist I mean he'd probably do a good job there as well because he is a very intelligent man but you really want him imparting that detail to him so yeah that's the that's how we understand it but then when it went to the coaching box it was Liam McDonald and his coaching team but it would be a surprise 
if Joe wasn't wired in somewhere mm. and, and, and having some influence because he's far more experienced than those people and has the you know they they would respect him to that like they will he will they will become better coaches because they have worked with Joe so yeah. people are w- willing to bring him on board in that regard and he doesn't want that front face he doesn't want to do the media he doesn't want it that part of it it's a bit like Stuart Lancaster or Leinster I think it probably suits him to be in that kind of Kaiser Soze style role where he's you know he gets in and out without having to do any of the stuff he he hated doing it when he was the Ireland coach interesting and the upturn in the Blues fortunes coincided in a fairly concrete way with his arrival. Yeah, they were going. They were getting better. They have a very good roster of players. They have some of the best athletes, and like Auckland, the players that are produced in the in the a little bit like the Leinster um, Academy, like Auckland is the biggest population in New Zealand. And when you tap into that, the, like you'll get great players. They brought they signed Bowden Barrett, um, and they have an incredible forward pack. And that you know, I didn't see an awful lot of Super Rugby this year. I had watched them in previous years, and they were exciting to watch. But there was always a soft underbelly, and that actually got exposed in the final. But they were more solid their winning return was much better yeah. and they played at, you know ex- ex- exceptional rugby at times so um, you know that's the Schmidt effect So Schmidt Jew anyway once the Irish tour was over to come on board officially as independent selector and analyst I saw as well again these are suitably vague terms so yeah. I think his first match as part of the setup was going to be South Africa in the yeah. uh, Super Rugby Championship but you said there you suspect he was feeding in information already in advance of this tour yeah, well, he's part of the system now. So once you're in, in the New Zealand system, it's a very aligned system, and Ian Foster has his number, and it, you know it would be remiss of him not. I mean, Ruth Pokey was in with Ireland this week, you know, so not in a tactical sense, but almost in a kind of a cultural sense to try and prepare them for playing the Maori. So everyone's talking to everyone, but if 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 he's on the New Zealand rugby payroll and he's joining the team after this, you know, he probably feels. I mean, he's an Irish citizen. He's worked with these Irish players. He probably felt like it was a nice way to avoid being the focus in this couple of weeks. It's come about a different way anyway. Mm. He was talking, he was on the breakdown, that New Zealand um, show, or maybe it was a, a different show. I, I, I listened to a podcast a while ago and he was saying, I'm too busy, I'm hosting a lot of Irish fans who are coming over, they're staying in my house, I have to entertain them, I wouldn't be able to get involved. You know, very much the late, late side of Joe, um, where he was kind of, you know, that happy-go-lucky. But you, you know that he is, he's a proud New Zealander, he wants, he's part of the system now and his job is to help them get better yes. and he, he will be giving them, I, I, I mean... I don't know for sure, but I would suspect, and the the word is that he has. It's, it's kind of a, an open secret that he has been to some degree involved. Yeah. A word on uh, Foster and his security of tenure. So beaten by France and Ireland in November, and beaten by South Africa as well last year. Three defeats in a calendar year. That does not happen to New Zealand very often. Is he a shoe in to make it to the World Cup no. as coach? They're not afraid to make a late turn in the road. They have a model, and the model is to be a lot of continuity and a lot of cohesion, and and that's the model that rugby has has uh, followed for an awful long time. And then Razi Erasmus just ripped it up. He took over eighteen months out and, and won the World Cup. So suddenly, there's an example there of someone who has a resource-heavy rugby nation, loads of really good players, and who can whip them into shape in eighteen months and go and win the World Cup. New Zealand, the the pool of players is not as strong now as it was under Steve Hansen. Steve Hansen got out at a pretty good time, still very very good. And there is a, an outstanding candidate who Foster beat to the job in Scott Robertson, who's the former All Black who coaches the Crusaders. People might have seen him break dancing after the final. It's his thing that he does every year. He worked with Ron Nagaro. Ron, I mean, he's talked in the studio about how excellent he is as a coach. I've met him. He's a really you know impressive figure, charismatic very pop- figure, very popular. Yeah. Whereas Foster, although you know quite humorous and stuff, is quite. Um, will be seen as being more dour continuity candidate, a bit like Farrell. He took over after the World Cup. He's been part of the All Blacks for a long time. He's been institutional. He's an NZRU man. 
uh, Scott Robertson's more the, the kind of rogue outsider in people's eyes he's winning they play really good rugby mm. they've won another title I think six in a row he's won with the Crusaders they're the best in, I mean we took people talking about Leinster being the best like the Crusaders are the best in the world at what they do so there is a if it think, if the Ireland tour goes badly and then the, the rugby championship goes badly there is an argument to be made that Foster will be removed and, and Robertson will come, come in New Zealand as, rugby, as opposed to Schmidt yeah, I think Schmidt. I, Schmidt wouldn't have the kudos of Robertson. Schmidt, the end side might might prefer to move Schmidt in. Whether Joe would want to do that or not, I don't. I don't know. Mm. It looks like he's now part of Foster's thinking for the World Cup. And again, like it probably suits Joe to have that advisory analyst role where he's on the pitch, he's in the coaching box, but he's not in front of the cameras. He's not doing the media stuff. He'll do it every so often at his own discretion, but he's not the guy all the time. I wonder about the ego of that. I mean, would Joe Schmidt not want to be the guy? Head coach in New Zealand is not not the ultimate dream job. Yeah, I don't know. If, uh, I I always wondered if Joe, because he was so he he, he he used up so much energy, wondering you know not being able to control the outside factors about what people were saying about his team. If he was the head coach and people in New Zealand Herald who were gener- New Zealand media, is, for all of its reputation, is quite favourable towards the team and is, they keep them on side very well and they kind of go after the touring side. We might see it in the next weeks. They'll go after Ireland if things are going badly. But still, it's a lot of focus. Like Steve Hansen talked about, like pap- paparazzi turning up in their back garden. You know, Joe's a very private person. Um, like he, he kept the media at, at a distance when he was the coach. He was very good at it. Like he's very able to do it. You know, he, we've seen like he, he's he's charming when he wants to be, and he and he's, you know, he's ruthless at the same time. You know, but I always wondered if this was a better. Like he would get the kudos within the game from the people he respects. Now he wouldn't get the love of the. the you know, he's always talked about the white van man who'd roll out his window and say thank you, Joe, as he walked around and how that made him feels so special. As like he probably wouldn't get that. But I don't know in your home country if he wants that. You know, he's it's it's such a high profile job. You know, Ireland, for all of you know, we've come up in the world and as a rugby nation, it's still the fourth sport. He was a massive figure, but he could still probably go about his business a bit more. I think in Auckland it's more difficult. Hard to know. Like I mean, maybe I'm underselling that ego side of things, but I think it works for him. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, he's ruthless. He's a top man. Maybe when he gets his gets his handle on, on things and he kind of goes well this isn't working and then Enzo or you ask him what's happening and he goes well I think I could do a better job maybe that plays out that way mm. I'm not sure at this stage but mm. he's uh, like he's a storyline maybe he didn't want to be a storyline before that but he is the big storyline going into this week certainly in this sure part is. of the world he sure is so it remains to be seen if Foster will be well enough to be in the coach's box Saturday yeah I the, we just depend on when he tests we were back in Lions tour COVID stuff it feels weird, weird like to be honest at this stage most Irish teams if someone had COVID they just didn't they said he was ill or you know they can't, we signed to stop you know it wasn't bringing down games since the European stuff and you know they might say he had COVID and he was gone it kind of became you know just a thing whereas yeah. now it feels like it's threatening the whole tour again You know, well three players with it I mean if it's spreading it's spreading and we don't have much wiggle room with this tour no Eden Park first up. Yeah. I only heard that the other day. Because Eden Park is traditionally the last stop for a touring mm. party like this. And they are famously unbeaten there since 94. Yes. Yeah. And they played the Lions there twice in um, in 17 because they, you know, they wanted to win, <laughs> win it so much. They, they brought, it's also the biggest stadium they have. This um, is the most complimentary thing they have ever done towards Irish rugby. This yeah. is incredible. And sold it out as well, which is an, ah. another massive compliment because you always wondered, you know, 2012, I'd say it was quite a, it had to be quite a marketing push to get the the, the bums on seats because Ireland didn't have the respect. Whereas now, you know, Ireland have beaten three times in the last five games, and they they are more recognised. The players are more familiar to the New Zealand public because they have their attention. It's, it's un, undeniable that that is the case, yeah. but it also makes it sweeter to beat them. So and is the the thing? So the, this is to offset the general thinking, and we're in we're maybe kind of feeling backwards for uh, 
old generalizations, but the general feeling, well, Eden Park last most difficult to beat and they're at their most vulnerable in the first test. Yeah. So let's offset that by going to Eden Park first. That's the reading of it. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Eden Park factor, I think, could be overplayed. Lions drew there in 2017. Um, you know, they won the World Cup final there, but they, you know, France should have won that day. That was It wasn't Eden Park got, over, got them over the line. It was the referee. Um, I don't think the venue... Uh, sorry, home advantage matters more than, than that actual venue. I know they, we can build up the mystique, and that, that fact is, is a fact, and it's, it's undeniable. They do move an awful lot of their games around. Um, they don't lose at home very often either way. You know, like this is whether they do it in Eden Park or in, in either, one of the other two venues, it's going to be an outstanding achievement to pull it off. Yeah. Um, but it is. You're right. Like it does show that maybe they're taking. They want to front load the third series. They want to get ahead. They see this as a series. Like it's not. A, it's not a set of individual tests that they're going to win, which they would normally. You know, they'll get overlooked. They now see it as a, a, a legitimate test series where there is a risk that Ireland can win, and they want. To stay in their, I mean, one of the other things they have, the Super Rugby final was only two two weeks ago, so they've very short lead in. So actually, basing the team in Auckland, getting them all together, probably helps as well in their traditional way. So there's a few things at play, um, but then they're weakened by the fact that you know potentially their starting centres are out. Certainly, one of those two would have played. Havili, I think, came off the bench in Dublin in, in 2021, and um, good, he was injured, but he's you know he's their main man in midfield. So. That means they have much less experience in that area, uh, a very pivotal area where Ireland are really, really strong. Mm. Um, so there are, you know, and we just don't know. Like we, we may wake up tomorrow when more players are gone. That's this, this is the know. thing. And so, will injuries and then COVID, notwithstanding, which are both very unpredictable across the next three and a half weeks, would you have a sense of which test is most winnable from an Irish perspective? Well, Ireland should be targeting winning the series. Like it's not, you know, should be winning the series. Should be targeting winning the ah. series. Well, at if they win one, is that not a great success on New Zealand soil? Is that not another? Depends which one you win. I think if you win the first broken. one and then you lose the series, you know it is it's it's history. But I was in South Africa in 2016 when they won the first one and they realised South Africa were vulnerable and yeah. they couldn't get over line. They should have won that series, and they were making a documentary. It was a sponsored documentary, and basically the documentary didn't mention that it was basically the line at the end that Ireland went on to lose the second it was all about the first game whereas they had it was, I actually contributed to the footage for the third third test they'd done the whole documentary for the whole thing but they, they just decided no we're just going to focus on the win they, they cut out your starting role hammering they, the absolutely, team absolutely yeah no the, the, but I thought that that team was actually like it was really under strength in comparison to this team it was much less yeah. uh, strong like Johnny Saxon wasn't there loads of starters missing my point is that once you get over there it's all framed by the context of what happens over there. If you win the first test, then you should go on to win the series. Like, yes, when you look back on the cold light of day, one win in New Zealand, is, one test win and beating the Marys twice is a decent return in, in a kind of a cold, hard facts on a ledger. Yes. But really, you know, you're, you're going over there to win. This is a team Ireland have beaten three times in the last five years. They're at a low ebb. Mm. You know, their high ebbs are pretty high and they haven't come that far. Um, Ireland are coming off the back of a very, you know, a reasonably successful season they've got nearly everyone on deck and New Zealand suddenly have a crisis in the ranks you know that there is massive up, up, upheaval I mean yeah why like the odds are <laughs> they should be winning one yeah I know it uh, should be picking uh, off one and like one for what, me is at what point do we do we stop being you know plucky underdogs like at what point like I know this is the the last this in the quarterfinal or the last piece of history that Irish, Irish rugby have to make mm. But they like if they've anything about them. If they want to, you know, if they want to win a World Cup, which they say they do, they can't be going over there thinking one out of three is good enough. Okay.
Because I was going to put it to you, if you take England 03, South Africa in 19, and then Australia in both 91 and 99, they managed to win once in yeah. New Zealand the season prior, very famously. Yeah. And once was just fine. Once England didn't. only played once, though. Fair point. Um, like, series has only came back recently, and, like, yeah. they're brilliant. I, I love them, and they're gone again after this, and I, I really think they're they're missed. So they're, they take on a dynamic. Like, a lot of these Irish players were over there in 17 with the Lions, and, like, New Zealand were very human on that tour. Mm. Now, they needed a red card to win... A very dodgy decision at the end of the third test to to come up, you know, to 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 draw that game because you know they should have lost it really. But Ireland have more cohesion than the Lions. They might not have the same level of great players across the board, but they have cohesion. Like I'm not being bullish about Ireland. Like I do think there's massive problems in the Irish ranks. Like you know, I think the Tyke Furlong's injury is a massive concern to me. The depth beneath him is is an issue. Same at loosehead prop. Ronan Kelleher and now Rob Herring. That's that's big. You know, that's leaving a lot of weight on Dan Sheehan's shoulder. That's your front row. And what was the difference last November? It was Ireland's tight five. Ian Henderson, I think, is a big underrated uh, component of that tight five. When he's fit, he's really important to this team. James Ryan's form's not great. That's your tight five undermined. That's a big problem. So I'm not being ridiculously bullish. I do think there's there are things that Ireland have to overcome to get there, mm. and it could go horribly wrong. You know, there is a, a, is a, one of those countries where if things start to go wrong, it could go horribly wrong. And the Marys could soften them up this week. They could lose one more two to COVID. And they're at the end of a long season and they might just, the weather might come in down in Dunedin and suddenly things are looking a lot less less appealing. So it's not, um, I'm not saying they're going to do it. I just think that's what they should be ta- aiming for, towards because there are things they need to overcome. Mm. So uh, Thane at Hooker, obviously, this week in particular, given that they uh, started without Ronan Kelleher and then Rob Herring is having a scan. Niall Scannell arrives tomorrow. So for the Maori game on Wednesday, they have two fit hookers. Dave Heffernan, Presumably now we'll start at the time of us recording. We don't have the team. And Dan Sheehan will get as few minutes as possible, potentially, as in do not get injured for the weekend. You think they wouldn't put Scannell on the bench if he's only just landed? But, you know, I think David Wallace did it for the Lions at one stage and they might just go, right, um, Dave Heffernan, you're going 80 here. You know, like... It, that's Sheehan and Cotton Wall. Well, I mean, if they lose Sheehan, they're in real trouble. Yeah. I mean, and Sheehan... Like Rob Herring and, and Roland McKellar are two best scrummaging hookers and that's where they're big that's where my big fear about this Irish team is at the moment. Um and New Zealand don't have the scrum to really undermine them in the way that South Africa, France or England do, but they do have like they have picked their scrummaging props rather than they've picked two in who's going to um France next year. Like he he'd normally be bombed out, but they've picked him in the squad. He's probably gonna start at loose head. Like he's He's not a great player, but he's a good scrummager, you know. Um, so they're going to go after him there. Greg Feek's the former Irish scrum coach. He, he's still in camp and he knows everything there is to know about these players as well. So there's a lot of intel there. So they may go after him in that area. Like, hooker's a real area of concern. Like, front row depth is an issue in Irish rugby at the moment. It's not really going to be fixed between now and the World Cup. They've high hopes for Tom O'Toole, T- Tom O'Toole on the, the tight head side. But if anything happens to Furlong... They're left to Finley Beelham and Tom O'Toole who really don't have a huge amount of experience at this level. So that's a big, big risk. So that is the area I think where Ireland could come a cropper. Um, but you've got your Joe McCarthy's in the second row might come come good. You've got Ryan Baird who could really cut loose on a tour like this. You've got players who could step up but it's a bit more of an unknown than yeah. say a fully fit Porter fur- Furlong outside Kelleher with Sheen coming off the bench with a real impact. Then you've got you know Henderson and Ryan with Tyg Byrne coming on, you know, fit Tyg Byrne, that's a tie five, you know, that, that can cope with, you know, with, the, okay. with the All Blacks and could dominate, whereas now that's, that strength is undermined, they might have to find a different way. To Wednesday then, five past eight Irish time in Hamilton, the Mary All Blacks game. I see TJ Perinara is on the bench, mm. 
He was a surprise mission from the main squad. Brad Webber, who has 17 New Zealand caps, starts at nine. Ten debutantes. It's being talked about as a mix of experience and the rising stars mm. of Super Rugby. We don't have the Irish team yet, so it's difficult maybe to answer this with uh, complete uh, knowledge or certainty. But uh, what are you expecting from these Mary games? I mean, these are going to be close run things, no? It's very hard to know what the... Like, Mary beat Ireland... Uh, in 2010 and that was a very strong Irish team because it was one of the tour, it was one of the three tests on tour if it, as such it wasn't actually a test game but they played us New Zealand then the Mary then Australia Saturday, Saturday, Saturday this is a different Irish team it's um, going to be I would think you know four or five they're not going to get debuts but uncapped players Joe McCarthy James Hume um, pretty much I think all the uncapped players who are not going to be probably involved on Saturday maybe one or two on the bench Um you know, Harry Byrne could start at ten. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of unknowns there with with with, with that team, and you're coming up against. Um, I think like the the, the Mary were really disappointed on the Lions tour uh, in 2017. Lions fairly now it was the Lions test team, but they fairly comfortably dealt with them. They are hit and miss. It depends on kind of what group they can pull together. But I mean, some of the debutants that you've mentioned, they're full All Blacks. They're not. They might be debutants for the Marys, yeah. but they've won. They've one or two caps for the All Blacks. Cullen Grace, the number eight, a very good player. Tyrell Lomax, one of the props. I mean, he could end up in the All Black picture by the end of this window. Um, you know, Pertner and Weber, you know, like they would probably be in the top two in any other country in the world. But it's a it's an area of strength for the All Blacks. So it's not. It's it's a bit unknown because both teams are scratch sides. They've never played together. Yeah. It's always a risk in international rugby putting like you know unproven centres together who've never played together. You know, Bundyaki probably will play because he hasn't played. Like the Connacht haven't played in months and months. You know, in, in five six weeks. You know, Keen Pendergast will probably play because he hasn't. You know, if, they, if these guys are going to contribute, they need to have a game under their belt. So it's you would like Ireland need. To, to Wales went down in 2018 and they played the Chiefs midweek and they got absolutely hosed and it was really damaging to them they lost the series 3-0 they were better in the test series than they were in the midweek game and they got it, it was it was damaging to Welsh you know like they ended up making the World Cup semi-final the whole year but for the tour point of view it was quite a bad loss Ireland should have more depth than Wales did at that point but, and the team players would be fresh Um but it's kind of two scratch sides. It could be scrappy, but it'll be, I think that Mary would be sent out with a mission to soften them up and kind of um, send out a bit of, mess- bit of a message that this is not going to be an easy tour whatsoever. Yeah, we think so. I saw Craig Casey was saying, and well, first of all, he made everybody feel a bit old by saying that he remembered vividly watching 10 years ago, 2012, when he was in sixth class, uh, yeah. to which Johnny Sexton, I'm sure, went, which you shut your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> make him feel too uh, old. Four or five of the Irish players played in it. Yeah, five, five were yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, and a load of the All Blacks, like the All Blacks senior corps, nearly all got their debuts in that tour. He added, though, when you're walking down the street, everyone's stopping you, wishing you well, and saying, "We're glad that you're here for the test." You see how rugby mad the country is. It's class. There was going to be hostility on the streets, like uh, throwing vegetables at him as he walked in. I the think street, a lot right? of that is is kind of a legacy of older tours. I found it very friendly in seventeen. Like the ma- on match day, they're they're quite vociferous. Eden Park's actually not not, not a particularly nice atmosphere. It's quite they're quite quite drunk and like, like like a lot of rugby stadiums these days it's quite drunk and a bit abusive um, Stephen Jones was sitting quite close to me so that's probably what it was you know they don't like him at all okay. um, the, the Sunday Times journalist but the uh, yeah during the week they're like they just want to chat rugby with you you know and I think but I think if they beat you certainly in the old days if they beat you they'd tell you all about it and okay. like if you if O'Driscoll was spotted walking down the street they'd, they'd make a beeline to tell him he was crap on Saturday you okay. know um, that's probably where it comes from but I think that they're a lot more used to tourists now and, and they quite like having, I think they're probably quite happy to have any Irish people they can get over there because they've been closed off from the world for so long. So um, it's just, I think this game, this series will take on a life of its own and, and it, maybe it gets more hostile after the first test when there's a red card or a suspension or a bad tackle and it gets, 
the storylines get whipped up and you're in that that bubble. The first week is quite nice, but yeah, maybe uh, yeah, they're killing them with kindness at the moment, but we'll see how it goes. Well, hopefully it's a fun few weeks ahead. It's great to have it. So yeah. rugby and off the ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us, Roy O'Connor of the Irish Independent. Thanks for coming in. Cheers, Joe. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us